And one other thing, did you all get one of these today? So um, uh, these, I tried to have them here by last week for the fourth. This is a special message by Pastor Chuck, um, but you should have each got one of them. And, uh, every couple could have one. Every single person could have one. And so make sure you get one of these before you leave today. And it's uh, just a great message dealing with God and our nation and stuff. So, all right, Genesis 39 is where we're at. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, uh, brought him from the Ishmael, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord uh, caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and he became his personal servant. And he made him oversee, oversee his, over his house, and all that he owned he put him in charge. And it came about from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. And so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except for the food which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, but he did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in the inside. And so she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he had brought he he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came to me to lie with me, and I screamed. And when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And so he left his garment beside her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with these words: The Hebrew slave, whom you brought to us, came into me to make sport of me. As I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the word of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. And so Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor over the sight of the chief jailer. In the sight of the chief jailer, the chief jailer committed Joseph's charge, all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Let's pray. Father, as we take a look at this passage and uh, of an event that happened so long ago, Lord, um, yet we're going to be reminded that the Bible is timeless. And so when it comes to temptation, when it comes to mistreatment, Lord, those are things that we understand. And we pray that as we look at Joseph and what he goes through, that you will speak to our own life, Lord, and that we'll just hear that still small voice this morning whisper to us 
and you will build us up, Lord. You will encourage us. You will set our feet on the right path. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we go now from um, chapter 38 to 39, um, two things at least happen for sure. In a more direct way, we pick up now the story with Joseph. Um, Remember last week, it seemed I told you that 38 was out of place, and yet I think you realize now, if you were here, that it isn't. But we pick up the story with Joseph that having been betrayed by his brothers and sold uh, 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 to some Ishmaelites, um, ultimately into Pharaoh's house in Egypt under Potiphar, um, which 37 told us, we now pick up those vents. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, as we think of what we saw last week in 38 with Judah and how Judah went the way that he did, um, we then find uh, some very or a very practical answer in how Judah could have avoided what he encountered in 38. Uh, how he married a Canaanite woman, uh, woman he shouldn't have. Uh, he had three sons, two who died because of their wickedness and their disobedience. Uh, how he lied to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and uh, really immoral living on his part um, really could have been prevented um, if uh, Judah would have been um, half the person that Joseph was. And so we likened, if you remember, the events of Judah to the importance of hitting the right steps. Remember, I used the story of a kid playing fall the leader, jumping over a creek. You're with me, aren't you? Um, and it's like the Christian walk. We want to hit those steps right on. And so we can carry that idea now over with Joseph and see that that kind of walk is possible. And so as Judah was tempted and failed, Joseph, on the other hand, will see is tempted, but he succeeds. And thus we have before us this comparison of how to walk and how to deal with temptation. And that's relevant, is it not? Anybody not tempted this week? What did you do? Did you just isolate yourself in your bedroom? <laughs> you know, that's pretty much it. You know, but really, temptations come every week. Even if you're isolated, they'll come in your mind, won't they, with your thoughts and different things like that. And so again, there's something here for us. Now, Joseph, he'd been sold, verse 1, it says, into the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar was an Egyptian officer who uh, was in charge of the men that protected Pharaoh. And remember, Pharaoh uh, very possibly uh, could have been the most powerful person in the world at that time. Um, so Potiphar oversaw his bodyguard, much like our Secret Service uh, oversees the president. Okay, And it would seem instantly that um, it was a great purchase when they uh, picked up Joseph off the slave market, as success comes to Potiphar with really everything that Joseph did. And remarkably, Joseph is still a teenager. Very likely still 17, give or take, he might be 18. But he's still in those teenage years. And what an incredible example of a young man and responsibility. Exactly what the success looks like, we don't get a lot of detail. We're not told all the specific things. But it had to do with managing the many men that made up the bodyguard, bodyguard for Pharaoh, the operation of the home, and all that Potiphar owned uh, outside the home as well, as verse 5 talks about the fields were blessed as well. And so we can say that Joseph was a responsible young man, 
uh, from a young age, as ultimately, verse 6, Potiphar will give him charge of all his affairs. And I love that, you know. I, I complain at uh, sometimes, just jokingly, that one day I would just like a day without responsibility. Uh, my life was such a life without a dad that from a young age, um, me and my brothers had to have responsibility. Uh, I never realized at the time, my mom was very tricky, I realize now, but we had paper routes. She said, you bought all your own clothes. I couldn't afford to do it. And I didn't realize I did that, you know. Man, how she just worked that in there like that. But anyway, um, I always admire and I, I get encouraged when I see another example of from a young age, somebody that had incredible responsibility and and lived that way. And so this is what we see. And there was a reason, of course, did you pick it up for the success? Verse 2 that the Lord, it says with Joseph in verse 3, the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So the success came because the Lord was with Joseph. And even though it says Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph, he probably thought it was just one of the many gods of Egypt at that time. He would not have recognized it as God Almighty like Joseph did, the one true God. And make sure you understand something here, that this doesn't mean like some fairy tale that whatever Joseph did then, just turn to gold. I think sometimes we look at Joseph and go, well, that was another person, another time, a special circumstance, and something like that. The Lord would never choose to bless my life like that. But really, that's not what we see. Joseph was responsible, and he was a hardworking young man, and it was that combination. And so the Lord looked and, uh, and took that quality, and he, and he blessed it. And so unlike those that Jesus said, um, Luke 9, that having put his hand to the plow and looking back is unfit for the kingdom of heaven. I like it because Joseph, if you will, he had his hand on the plow, man. And he was pressing on, as like Paul said, and there's this beautiful marriage then between Joseph's ability and God's power. And you guys, it really is sometimes that simple. We are the ones that make it more difficult. It's the abilities that we have, and then God, as we know, gives us even giftings. And as we will take that, and we will go with that, and offer it up to God, and find that balance of, of uh, that marriage between our abilities, and actually then a reliance upon His power and His Spirit, it is really an amazing thing that God will do in your life. So I think sometimes we make a mistake because... First of all, we discount our abilities. We think we have none that God would want to use. And so we then are sitting back for this magical thing to happen. And we go our whole life and it never happens. So I just encourage you, man. You know, God has given you giftings. God has given you abilities. Every one of us, man. Give those to God all the while saying, God, I can't do this without you. And watch God work. He'll do it every time. And so that's what we see here. That God does. And so, if you're taking notes, then note that success comes when one has the Lord. And maybe we could say that success comes when the Lord also has an individual, because He definitely has Joseph. And so, it's not just a theory, it's just not a name only that we're talking about, but it's when one has a true and a real relationship with God, that he, they are aware of Him 24-7, if you will, then God really wants to move forth in that life. And so nowhere, um, he nece- it, it's not where he necessarily wants to be, okay, in Egypt versus with his family. But Joseph is finding success 
And again, notice God hasn't forsaken verse 6 when it says um, that uh, he gave him, he left everything in his charge. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. And so um, even if you didn't have the rest of the chapter, you couldn't help but wonder if um, when it talks about there of Joseph being verse uh, 6, he's handsome and in form and appearance, if this wasn't going to be a problem. And of course it was. So. If you're not handsome in form and appearance, right? Not everybody could be like me, all right? Um, I'm just joking because I, you know, I don't consider myself handsome in form and appearance, you know. You know, as hard as I wish the waistline would shrink, it grows. As hard as I wish the hair would come back, it keeps falling out and life goes on. And so, and God has arranged it that way because there is one woman in the room who thinks I'm the greatest looking guy in the world. And that's just, that's how it should be, right? So, okay. So, so you don't need to really be laughing right now, okay? So. But amen. You don't amen those things. Man, when I want you to amen. Dottie, did you amen that? Dottie. I thought you were with me. Anyway, no, I, she, I understand. She's amen positively. Okay, verse 7. Look again. It came about that after these events, that his master's wife, so Joseph is in charge, God is blessing that his master's wife then looked with desire at Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he puts all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in the house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do this great evil and sin against him? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he did not listen to her to lie beside her and to be with her. And so... The temptation then comes from Potiphar's wife, and it's very clear, sleep with me, Joseph. Okay, And so Joseph had been in the house a while now. We know probably months. It could have been a year. We don't know. But no doubt, she had noticed Joseph probably from day one. She had noticed that he was attractive uh, in form and appearance. You know, not sure what that, the difference is there. But anyway, and when her desire then could no longer be contained, it went to the next level where she finally said, Joseph, come lie with me. And so note that, that most temptations, and this is really obvious, it's a giving in to a desire. Have you ever been tempted for something you didn't want to do? (laughs) No, see, it doesn't work that way. But we're tempted by things that we want, things that we desire. And so that's what we see here, that there's a temptation is giving in to the desire. And for her, it wasn't that which could be put under the control of the Lord, but for Joseph it was because he knew the Lord and he could put any desire under that power. And so we have desires. We have good desires. We have bad ones. But the key in facing temptation is to make sure that our desires are submitted to the Lord and Joseph is then an example of that. And that's the key, you guys, that you and I need to do that. Well, Joseph refused her advances, verse 8. The word refuse isn't a hard word. It means just that. If you want to, I looked it up in the Hebrew, you could add uh, to refuse, to refuse utterly or to refuse completely is the idea. And that's what he did here. Or you could even put in the word rejected there and you wouldn't mess with the meaning. But the bottom line is he said no. And it was more than just words. Understand that. okay? the words were secondary because it was a deep work and a conviction that was within his life. I will not do such a thing. So really, the words come easy. And that says to you and I, 
that before the temptation comes, you and I need to be working on that deep work and deep convictions and standards in our life. That then the words come easy when the temptation comes to us. And so this is what we see um, with Joseph. Um, that it was this deep work conviction with life. The conviction that came, notice, one was because he was mindful of Potiphar. That was his master. And what he had done for Joseph, how he had trusted Joseph. Not only did he buy him out of the slave market, and then he put him to work in the house, but then he realized, oh my goodness, this is one in a hundred, one in a thousand young men I've got before me. And he put him in charge ultimately of everything. And Joseph understood that, that there was a, a, a there was a trust here that couldn't be broken. And so we see a clear picture in, in Joseph of what integrity looks like. You want to know what integrity is? Here it is right here. This is integrity that says no because of the relationship and trust that has been there. That quality in a man or woman that does what is the right thing to do, no matter what the place or time and no matter who's looking or not looking. And that's really what integrity is. It's doing the right thing at all times in any circumstances. And so for Joseph, being mindful of another was, notice, a powerful weapon as he, as he fought off temptation. The second thing, there was a conviction that came from being mindful of the Lord. So he's mindful of both, see? And so even if Potiphar didn't know the God that Joseph worshipped, and we know that his wife didn't for sure, Joseph knew God was real. And so he came from a God-fearing family. No doubt Jacob, his father, had instructed him. He told him about how the Lord had worked in Abraham, his his great-grandfather, and Isaac, his grandfather, and his own life. And, And Joseph knew the Lord. Remember the dreams he had? And so Joseph knew the voice of God. And so when he says, when she says, lie with me, Joseph, he not only said, I can't, because of what your husband means to me. He didn't say that, but that's what he's thinking and what he's done for me. But he also tells her at the end of verse 9, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And so we're talking about a very personal and meaningful relationship here. And Joseph saw clearly to sleep with her for a few moments of sex, for a few moments of pleasure. And I'm not going to go into that. Last week we really went into this whole thing about immorality and everything and talked a little bit about it is just a passing thing. It's a temporary thing and it's on and on. But he, he wasn't going to do that. One, because it was a great evil and it was a sin against the Lord is what it says there. And it kept him from doing it. You guys, this is a key for you and I. It has everything to do with our relationship with the Lord and that relationship being a real relationship. You know, my wife tells me that when uh, Wink comes, there's six kids in her family and Quentin is the youngest and there's a gap between the twins and Quentin of, I don't know how many years, but quite a few. And I don't think Quentin was a mistake, but he just came later. But there was a, a funny thing, Quentin, when he was a little kid, he's an incredible young man now. He's just got this incredible mind and... Uh, you know, I mean, seriously, dead serious one day he looks at Wink and says, uh, do watchdogs wear watches? And he was dead serious. And so that's his mind would just work from a young age that way. Well, he had an imaginary friend when he was a kid, you know. And I remember Wink tells the story of one night her dad came in to kiss Quentin goodnight. And he kissed Quentin. And all of a sudden Quentin said, and what was the name of the imaginary friend? Ralph? Yeah. And he said, Ralph. And so her dad had actually kissed Ralph, 
you know. And what I'm getting at is this. You're wondering, aren't you? Yeah, where are we going here, Scott? Okay, okay, it's been a hard week. Okay, come on, give me a. But what I'm getting at is, we all need a Ralph, if you will, God, right there, like that. See, that's how. That's what when. That's when the relationship is real, is when when even though we don't see him, we really. It's almost as if he's there. God is right there. And that is a powerful thing in keeping us from entering into temptation. The words there, if you look at verse 9, it says, How could I do this great evil and sin against God? Great evil, some of your Bibles will translate great wickedness, and it means just that. Great, you could understand the idea is it was big, it was high in order. It was above other things, other ones, if you will. And I thought, you know, that's a problem today. Here's where... We are breaking down today for man has taken that which was a great evil and now has said, oh, no big deal, right? We talked about this last week with immorality, you know, with things like fornication and adultery. You know, our world has long since left the point where that is a stigma anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a normal thing for that to happen. But this is part of the problem that we're not seeing that, that a great evil is a great evil. And, and in effect, um, we've changed something that should be great to something small or little. And Joseph also saw very clearly for him to sleep with her was also a sin against God, it says. It was a sin against the Lord. And that doesn't stop him from, that doesn't stop most of us from refusing as Joseph did, unless the relationship is so real, so personal as it should be, then it stops one from giving in to temptation. So no matter what it might be, because one is mindful that it's going to hurt the Lord, one we love deeply, then we stop. And again, that's important. I think this is a key, you guys, in handling temptation here. We need to be mindful that it's going to do two things. If we give in to this temptation, whether it's something as overt as sexual sin like we're seeing in this passage, or something maybe not as overt, chances are we're going to get hurt, others are going to get hurt, and God's going to get hurt. We need to understand that. We need to understand that sometimes when we fall into temptation, what's it going to cost? You know, for instance, let me use myself as an example. If for some reason I chose to enter into an affair and cheat on my wife, here's what it would cost. I would lose my wife and any trust I have there. I would lose my children's respect. I would lose your respect. Many of you would leave this church and never come back. See, I would, and it goes on and on and on. I would lose my job, my income. See, and all of a sudden you just hear the dominoes start falling, don't you? And you see the damage it does. And we need to understand that. It's not a bad thing necessarily to understand if I enter into this temptation, what is it going to cost me? Matter of fact, I think it's a good thing, especially if any of you are facing a temptation or maybe you you face an ongoing temptation, you can't seem to get victory over it. Maybe what you need to do is actually take some time by yourself and give this thing some thought and figure out, you know, what is this thing going to cost me ultimately and see if it won't motivate you then to really not give in to the thing and maybe trust the Lord to deliver you from it like he wants to deliver you from it. And so we see that. And so not only was the Lord with Joseph, but I love this, but now very clearly the end of verse 9, don't you see it? Joseph was with the Lord. Do you see that? I mean, and that is always a combination of success when we face temptation. 
that he said, I am not going to do this against the Lord. So that's a powerful thing. And notice verse 10. As she had noticed Joseph for days and probably weeks, maybe months, before she made her move, once she did it, did you notice it says it went on then for day after day after day. Translation, every day when Joseph left his quarters and he came into the house to do his job, to do his responsibilities, after a point he realized, I know she's going to be there. I know she's going to come after me. I know she's going to say once again, Joseph, lie with me today. See? And what you have to understand is this. Be careful not to move Joseph out of the uh, arena of a human being into a superhuman being. Like, you know, he was just so uh, jaded that this wouldn't have affected him. You know? It's easy, isn't it? Sometimes people just... You either do fall into two things. Either you just are you're, you give into the temptation right away, or you resist the temptation. But if the temptation keeps coming, then you give into it. See, and so think about that. That Joseph was a man like any other man, and here he has this incredible uh, woman, a powerful woman, um, coming after him every single day. Come on, Joseph. Come on, Joseph. You know, and and like we're going to see, um, he could have probably at least got away with it for a while. See, people do that at times. They say, I can get away with this, and you never get away with it with the Lord. But So we read, verse 10, look at this. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. And so I think what that says there is he's hearing the words that she's saying, but he didn't allow them to take root in his heart and, and thus with his desires. As soon as the seed sprouted, if you will, it's summer. Can I use this illustration? He hit it with weed killer. Okay. Okay. I think that's a good point. See? And so he, he, he heard him, the words, but they weren't going to take any root. You know, what does First Second Corinthians 10 tell us? Um, Second Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we're human beings with a body, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses, we are taking every thought captive to become obedient to Christ. That's hitting the temptation with weed killer. See, and you and I need to do that. When when thoughts come, when temptations come, when uh, something that would compromise integrity in our life is about uh, we're being tempted with, nail that thing, man. Take that thought captive. Keep crying out to the Lord till you know it's been taken captive and the temptation is gone. And that's what we see here. Well, verse 11, it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. So again, this has been going on now. And none of the men of the household were there inside. And you have to wonder if she didn't arrange it that way, finally. She said, man, I'm going to get all these guys out of the house. Today's the day. And many feel this wasn't the first time that she had been unfaithful to Potiphar, her husband. And Potiphar maybe knew this because when it came time uh, and Joseph gets accused of this, uh, it's thought he should have probably been beheaded at that point, put to death, but he's thrown in prison very likely because he really knew in his heart he was innocent, and yet he had to do what he had to do. And so verse 12, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and he fled and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came to me to lie with me. 
and I screamed. And when he heard what I, I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And so she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him, to Potiphar, with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And I raised my voice and screamed and he left his garment beside me and fled outside. And so she is a shrewd woman. She is quick on her feet. You know, not only in, in hiding her desire from, for Joseph from her husband all the time that she had been pursuing him, and that would take scheming and plotting, right? But once she made this bold move and it fails, almost as quickly she then spins a lie to make her look innocent and Joseph look guilty. So this is one, um, well, temptations can be slick like that, can't they? And do you know what Joseph did? As you think of your own temptation, what did he do? He ran, verse 12. He left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Again, fled. These I love some of these words. Sometimes you look up words in the Hebrew or Greek and, and you really get some insight. But fled is another one of these words that really just kind of means that. You could say it means to vanish or put to flight. You could add that. In other words, he ran out of the room. He ran out of the palace. He vanished from the place. You know, And, and you know, that isn't bad advice when we face temptation. Flee from it. Flee from it. How many times have I given in temptation? Have you given in temptation? Because we chose not to flee from the thing. And so eventually we give into it. The word flee uh, means to run um, away literally or figuratively, to shun, to, to vanish. If you're a fan of the show The Office, um, you'll remember the episode where uh, Jim was shunning, was Jim shunning Dwight? Dwight was shunning Jim or somebody. And uh, if you don't watch a show, uh, this illustration is going to mean nothing, but it was very humorous where he's kind of shunning them. And so he'd say, shun on, and he just wouldn't talk to him. And shun off, and then he would talk to him, you know. And I thought, you know, Lord, that's not too bad, really, you know, because we should just shun, you know, temptation. You know, shun on, you know, I'm not going to give in to you. So it's, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Paul used it four times in his writing, not the word shun, flee, okay? <laughs> He said in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. In writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, speaking of loving money which can lead to all sorts of evil, he says flee from these things. Again, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says flee from youthful lusts. And then he adds, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. And the Apostle James in James 4 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And the word flee there in the New Testament is the same word every time. See? And so it means to run, literally or figuratively. Sometimes literally is a good plan. Sometimes, though, it's a, a running that's a figuratively. We're going to not let our heart go there. We're not going to let our mind go there. And it's an important thing to do. And so when we are tempted whether it's sexually or in some other way, whether we are male or female, I want to make sure we understand that this morning. The passage is dealing with a, a male situation of temptation, but you ladies get tempta- tempted as well. Um, fleeing from the temptation, again, either literally or figuratively, not allowing our hearts to, give, to go where that temptation wants us to go, that is great advice. And practically speaking, it means to change where you are at and what you are thinking about. You say, Scott, I can't do that. I say, yes, you can. You're choosing not to do it, but you can do it. 
So if you're at home and you're being tempted, okay, guys, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. I'm not going to get specific. I don't have to. If you're at home and you're facing any type of temptation, next time you're facing that temptation, get out of the house. Go for a 30-minute walk and come back and see if the temptation isn't gone. And when you're walking, pray. See if God doesn't deal with it. He will. How do I know that? Because I do that at times. Sometimes the best thing is just flee from things. Get out of the situation, you know. And again, I'm working with Wink, but sometimes I just have to get out of the house with her. No, I'm joking, honey. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. I, you know, this week I did that last week. I said, I got to quit doing that because I, I do have a great wife. And I said, I just got to quit doing that to her. And I just did it again. So, you know, so anyway. But anyway, um, it, I mean that. I'm very serious that I think that it's a good thing to do. You know, to do that. Or if you're at work and something's going on, can you go to another part of the plant? Do it. You know, if you're alone, can you get with others? If you're by yourself, can you pick up the phone and call somebody? See, there are things that we can do to change where we're at, if possible, or to change what we're thinking about. And it is a powerful weapon in the hand of God to defeat the temptation that Satan is bringing before us at that time. And so change where you're at change what you're thinking. It goes a long way in overcoming temptation. And it's great advice that we need to heed. Another thing that now comes up for the second time in Joseph's life in this passage is the whole area also of being treated wrongly. He was treated wrongly first by his brothers, of course, when he was sold, you know, left for dead, and then they got rid of him, made a few bucks of him. But now the second time he's treated unfairly is he's falsely accused. And remember, three, two weeks ago I said to you that when he finally is treated that way with his brothers till finally he is raised up, it will be a 13-year temptation. Don't forget that. Okay, 13 years Joseph will go through mistreatment. And so we see that again here. And he's a great example, very much like Christ. In many ways, he's a type of Christ, if you will, of what to do when treated unfairly, even harshly. And so even though his brothers had betrayed him and sold him off, when he finally gets to Egypt, what does he do? He is a hard worker and God starts to bless him. We don't read that he moped around the house and complained. Let me tell you, if that's what he did, he would have never been raised up in Potiphar Probably would have bought him, but then just used him as pure labor, you know. But we don't see that. And so it's a great example to us that here is a life that has been treated wrongly. But, you know, it's as they say, he makes lemonade out of lemons. That type of thing is what he's doing. And and so then when he's put in prison, we'll see the same thing. We'll get into it more next week with the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. He handles that adversity that comes his way in a Christ-like manner. Does he want to be there? Absolutely not. He'd rather be back in Egypt. He'd rather be out of the prison. But he is there. He accepts it. And he says, I will do then what God wants me to do in a sense. And that's what he's doing. And so more of this is going to come out again next week. But a couple things to remind yourself is, one, that everyone is treated unfairly at times. Now, there's a place where you just said, amen, you know. But we are, are we not? If you have never been treated unfairly, holy moly, you know, you are a blessed individual. But we all have been treated unfairly. And the second thing is it is possible to handle it with grace and even benefit from it. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say this. I'm not saying when we are treated unfairly that God is the one who brings that. But I would say that God allows it to happen because God knows if we will take it before him, 
it can be the very thing that actually starts shape on our life and benefits our life, right? I mean, metal, you know, the diamond rings, the silver platinum rings we wear do not become this type of metal without going through a great work, a fire of forging of everything else. And it's the same with our lives. To become like Christ, we've got to go through that process. And sometimes it means we have to go through being treated unfairly. And again, uh, the Lord did it. And so verse 19, Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. And so one minute, watch this. Their success, he's being promoted. It seems like the thing that his brothers had done to him wasn't going to turn out that bad after all. And the next, he finds himself in another pit, the king's prison, amidst other inmates, and now not so privileged, just seen as a crook among crooks. And power is like that. One minute you could have power. The next minute it could be gone. One minute you, everything could be just going so good. And the next minute something else could happen. We were coming home from Spokane this week. My son and uh, daughter-in-law just moved there. And we were coming home Friday. And we had pulled off in Ellensburg to get some lunch. And we were coming up to light. And there was a guy in a Jeep in front of us. And he wasn't paying attention. And we saw everything right before us. And all of a sudden he hit his brakes and... We just saw him skid. He smashed right into the back end of a Subaru, you know, and you just kind of went. And, you know, I thought about that. His, you know, his day was going fine, you know, up to that point. And now his Jeep is wrecked and the Subaru's all smashed up too. And, you know, you just kind of, but that's how it is sometimes, you know. And so it can, you know, happen like that. And, and so a day can start like any other day. And the next thing we're then faced with a trial, you know, it just, it just comes. And we can handle them in the Lord's strength and the Lord's wisdom, or we can handle them in, our, in, in the flesh and our wisdom. And again, we've got to learn to handle them in the Lord's wisdom and in the Lord's strength. You know, don't complain. Don't argue. You know, that's, that's not handling it the right way. Just say, mm, you know, just say, okay, Lord, what's going on? What are you doing? You know, the other night my wife is going through a bank statement and there's uh, some discrepancies of several hundred dollars. And, uh, and, so I naturally wanted to know what she had done with the money. Um, no, but sorry, <laughs> I just can't stop it. But I told her, I said, well, you know, obviously it was recorded wrong and, you know, it's not a big deal. So I said, just Monday we'll call the bank and we'll get it all straightened out. And, uh, and you know, that's really it because I could see a little bit of panic on her. And bless her heart, my wife, you know, takes care of our finances at home. She's incredible with finances. And uh, and she does such a good job. But sometimes she needs her husband and me, the spiritual leader of the home, just say, trust, it's going to be okay. It always is. Nothing's wrong. We'll get it all worked out on Monday. And she just put it away. And, she said, and I could tell she didn't worry about it the rest of the day. And probably now she'll start worrying about it again. So, <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> but uh, but it, that's a good, it's a good thing to us, you know, that, that, we need to handle them in the Lord's way. And, and what helps to handle them in the Spirit, in the Lord's way, is remembering nothing comes our way, but the Lord can't use to shape us and to grow us. Let me say it again. What helps to handle things in the Lord's way is always remembering that nothing will come into our life that God can't use, even if it's not of Him, but He can't use it to mold us and to shape us to be like Christ. And that's what we want, isn't it? And so remember that. 
and we'll become more like Christ. And, and so it could be a number of things. We could be accused of something that could come into our life, the mistreatment. We could lose a position that we once had. We could not get the promotion that was promised us. We could not be given the raise that we thought would take place. Um, we could lose a client. We could lose a job. Um, but they can be viewed as that which is against us and that which is there to hurt me or that which the Lord then can use for my good and my honor and glory or his honor and glory. And so verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph, see, and extended his kindness to him. That's a good word, isn't it? See, it's about relationship and the Lord is with us no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so the Lord was with Joseph, extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. And so as with Potiphar's household and affairs now in the jail, the same thing starts to happen. The Lord is with Joseph. Um, was showing kindness to Joseph and gave him incredible favor with now the chief jailer and he has complete charge and he starts to prosper again. And next week when we get into the dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker, again, we'll see Joseph didn't like where he was, but watch this, he accepted it. In other words, he was mistreated, but he accepted his mistreatment and knew while others had abandoned him, the Lord had not abandoned him. And you guys, that's exactly, that is scriptural, 100%. That others can mistreat us. We can be in hard situations that maybe we don't deserve. But that does not mean the Lord has abandoned us. And we want to remember that. And so as we close, let's just take a quick review of our own lives. First of all, in the era of temptation. Okay. In Potiphar's wife, we have an example of how they can come. And again, we're not just talking about sexual temptations. They can be subtle. Temptations can at first. They often deal with pleasurable things, sometimes things that we desire. Um, they can be sustained and continual. They can move even to shocking. And understand, even at that, we are capable of giving into the thing. In Joseph's reaction, we have the opposite example of how temptation can be handled. It can be handled with integrity, doing what is right. He's very decisive. He doesn't waver back and forth, you know, hmm, wonder what I should do here. He knew that it was wrong and he wasn't going to change the way that he thought. And, and she was unyielding, watch this, in trying to get Joseph into bed with her. But Joseph was unyielding, unyielding in that he wasn't going to give in. And I thought, Lord, that is so good. May we be unyielding in the sense that we are not going to give in to the temptations that come uh, into our lives. And and while we like to think that relief from temptation should really almost be magical as believers. In other words, you know, God's just going to go. He doesn't do that, does he? You know, and it's just going to it's gone. You know, I always forgive me. I have these weird things. I always have the image of Tinkerbell. It must be the all the Disney stuff I watched when I was a kid. You know, like this little glowing fairy is going to come in the room and all of a sudden it's going to be gone. You know what? It's not. Joseph shows us the solution is very practical. As he does these practical things, he refuses. He says no. He keeps being mindful of the Lord, his relationship with the Lord, and he finally runs. And so how do you handle temptation and how are you handling temptation? See, so it's a combination again, isn't it? 
It's a combination of you and I being responsible in dealing with temptation and watching the Lord come and meet us there and help us there. Um, but how are you handling temptation? And if you're in the midst of temptation, how are you doing? First Corinthians 10.13 Many of you are saying he's got to use this verse before the morning's over. So here it is. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but when the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so you will be able to endure it. And listen to the New Living. I love the New Living translation on this. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can handle to stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So that's a promise there, see? And then the area of circumstances where you find yourself right now, even mistreatment. Are you accepting? And thus, is there potential then for spiritual growth and fruit and the Spirit of God and God's strength is working in your life? Or are you rejecting the circumstance you're in, the situation you're in? And really then what you're doing is you're handling it in the flesh. And I'll tell you right now, you're going to fail. And so this morning, if that's where you're at, turn right now. Don't handle it. Another moment in your flesh. Give it to the Lord. Accept where you're at. And all of a sudden, man, you'll just, you know, you could even rejoice in your mistreatment. Amen? You really can. Amen. Let's stand.